Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Adventures in the Creative Industries. My name is Eric Ravaglia, your one-man band. Thank you very much for tuning in. For this episode, I am sitting with Alex Doroso Baker. She is an award-winning product and service designer working to simplify complex systems in areas such as education, civil justice, and entrepreneurship. With a background in both startups and agency design, Alex works as a freelance design consultant. She also happens to be the host and founder of Creative Mornings in Edinburgh. For those of you that are not familiar with it, Creative Mornings is a volunteer-led event which consistently sells out in under 48 hours, allowing about 70 to 80 fresh-faced attendees to show up early morning for a morning lecture. And it usually happens the last Friday of the month. The event is free and it started in 2008 in New York, from where then it expanded all around the world and every main city that hosts one of these events is called Chapter and Alex runs the Edinburgh Chapter. This is not the first podcast I record with Alex. In fact, we had our first episode about two months ago and after a very interesting chat, I remember Alex saying, oh, by the way, um, I haven't told anybody yet, but this is what happened. And when she told me the story on how she found out having type 1 diabetes, I remember saying, maybe we should record this again when you're ready to talk about it. This is the time that Alex decided to share his news and openly discuss what it means for her to having to deal with the disease. I think it was very brave of Alex to share her story and also the way she embraced it and the way she lives with it. I totally recommend a listen. And without any further ado, here we go. Hi, Alex. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? I'm okay. You feel good? I feel good. So here we are again, because about a month ago, would you say a month and a half ago, you wrote a podcast, I see a podcast, Jesus, I can only think about podcasts is this, you wrote a Medium post mm-hmm. about something that has happened to you in a way that was very sudden to you, but not very sudden to your body. So would you be able to, would you like to talk me through it? Sure, right in there. Right in there, right in the feels. (laughs) Yeah, so a month ago, I wrote what I'm kind of referring to as my coming out story of being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, And now, sitting here, I'm at five months since diagnosis. So what one month was when you were diagnosed? It was in August. It was in August, the 24th of August, on a plane playing going where um i was on a flight to new york and we were taxiing down the runway and my phone went off and this is really unlike me because i'm usually you know i follow the rules i switched my phone off so you had your phone on throughout the flight i know it was awkward oh my god we're about god. to take off and my phone rang and you we could had have gotten arrested I, d- I don't know i think it's that is that a thing i don't no, know i don't no. think so just think switch it off but yeah the woman was quite stern looking was she um, <laughs> you let me flight. Like, Hello. <laughs> yeah. I'm on a fly. <laughs> Look at <out> the window. <laughs> Selfie. Um, yeah, no. Um, I was actually just going to switch off, but then I recognized it was um, my clinic's number. My, like, just not my clinic, my my GP's number, which was a bit random. 
which is like for people listening that are not familiar here, um, when you go to the GP and you do your testing, you never hear back. No, you never. Because <laughs> when you do, it's usually trouble. So when you see the GP calling you back, the first thing you do, you kind of sh- shit your pants because <laughs> something is not right. Yeah, you don't usually get that personal personal touch like that. And yeah, and um, I pick up the phone and she wasted no time. She was like, your results from this morning have come back. Your blood glucose through the roof. You need to get to hospital immediately. Um, and I was just like, I'm, uh, I'm on the flight. And she was like, what? <laughs> like, and, and just to give a bit more context, we were flying to New York with my Creative Mornings team. We'd fundraised to get ourselves to New York. Like there was no way I was getting off that flight. Like I was not <laughs> getting off that flight. This is bullshit. I probably, you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm never sick. Um, <laughs> Your GP called you and it's like, you have to go to the hospital right now. And you'll be like, nah, it's okay. I'll I go hate later. Drama. I'm really not. <clears throat> yeah. So she was just like, maybe, well, as soon as you get to New York, check yourself in and maybe tell the flight attendant. And... I just bought this giant Toblerone <laughs> in the airport. You know, those like five pound deals for three. Right. And I got. I have to introduce <laughs> this to people because like, um, I, I've, I've been to your new flat, which is a beautiful place. But the best thing you have in your flat <laughs> is one particular drawer you have in the kitchen, which is the treat drawer. And you being Swiss and all that, you have a very peculiar taste on chocolate, meaning that all the chocolate you have is the best quality chocolate you can find. <laughs> and it's good. I like, I remember you were like, you should try this one. This is really good. I was like, what is this? This looks weird. And you were like, no, 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 no. Try this one. You're going to love it. And um, <laughs> so I can only imagine when you bought, just bought this big Toblerone. And I was like, surely. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'll last. kill this. <laughs> One last. They'll never know. (laughs) You see, if if my phone was off, (laughs) I would have killed this. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was kind of bonkers. I had had a bit of chocolate. Um, But the maddest thing, you know, nowadays, like for anything, you know, any question that pops into your mind, you just reach for your phone and you Google it. But we'd just taken off. Uh, Not on a plane. No, not in the middle of (laughs) No, exactly. Seven hours of what the fuck is diabetes? Like all I had time to do, sorry, can I swear on your podcast? What a silly question. (laughs) Sorry, you can can mute that. Um, (laughs) Swearing is a thing, no worries. Um, So I hung up on the doctor and I didn't, my hands were shaking so much. I didn't, I couldn't text, I was trying to text my husband. I don't even know why I did because he wouldn't be able to speak to me for seven hours, but I had to tell him. I had to freak somebody (laughs) out. (laughs) My husband would be the first one to be freaked out. And That's so, what you signed up to. I know. And so instead of texting him, I left him this teary voice message that was just like, I think I have the type one. They don't know. I don't know. And bye. And that was it. So I left that him, that message to him. And um, and then we, we flew to New York. No, so wait a second. Seven hours is a long time mm-hmm. knowing that you have this thing. What was the first thing that came to your mind? Because, you know, after the phone call, you probably, you know, you were a bit startled. But like the moment that you kind of settled down a little bit. What did you think? Um, I was more, what is this thing? I'm, I'm so healthy. And that's one of the things, like I'm, I'm never ill. And that's, um, so type one, this is maybe a good moment to introduce type one. Yes, is, please. Type one is different to type two diabetes. Um, they are, they have similar, um, 
ways to treat, but they are caused by two very different types. And so type two is the one which is much more prevalent, um, where it's caused by often, um, well, initially it used to be more kind of older people who got it. And now because of the um, obesity ep epidemic, more people are developing type two younger and younger. And in the case of type two, basically what's happened is through eating potentially too much sugar or sometimes bad luck you've exhausted your pancreas and your pancreas is basically burnt out it can't deal with what you're giving it um, and so you need to give it in order to try and reverse type 2 you have to give it a break you have to be so careful of what you're eating you have to do um, a lot of exercise type 1 and this is the version I have is an autoimmune disease so in an act of self-sabotage my immune system attacked my pancreas well mistaking it for a foreign body and killed off two percent of it and two percent doesn't sound like a lot but the two percent is was the bit that was responsible for producing insulin and insulin is what you need to take the nutrients from what you eat and deliver it into your body and so what was happening to me and I think it happened for over about five months was I was eating and drinking normally but nothing was reaching my cells and I lost almost two stones about 10 kilos 10 12 kilos over four months and I was kind of dieting at the time so I just thought I was amazing <laughs> at dieting it's like oh my god <laughs> just look at me go. look at me now I look amazing <laughs> this porridge thing I'm doing in the morning <laughs> Yeah, anyone who listens, porridge and a run once in a while. But then as the kilos... <laughs> porridge and diabetes, that's amazing. It's like, it's like, fine. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, and the weirdest thing is, like, when you're developing the symptoms, which are excessive weight loss, well, rapid weight loss, excessive thirst, like, you get so, so thirsty, um, cramps, night cramps, things like that, um, your body wants to do all the wrong things. Like, I was eating so much ice cream because I was so thirsty. Because it's amazing. And it's amazing. And that was my craving. I had never craved ice cream before like that. And I was just like... Oh, welcome to my life, Alex. Just just <laughs> liters of the stuff. And also it was a really hot summer, so I was, oh, I was yeah. drinking loads. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, sorry. Kind of roundabout way, but... Um, no, it, it's important that we explain what diabetes is. Because I was the first one you told me last time, right? I might have... When the mics... When the mics were off and you were telling me about what that you had this thing and, 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 and I made the same mistakes as everybody does of confusing it with diabetes type two. And I was like, Oh cool. So now oh damn, now you have to watch your diet and and she was like, actually it's more than that. And I remember like you, you were like, Don't worry about it, like everybody makes this mistake, I made this mistake, but there is a huge difference between type one and type two. While type two you can potentially reverse or you can work on it. Type one is just the way, just the way it is. Yeah, no, and I mean, the chocolate draw sounds like a likely culprit, but actually has nothing to do with it. There's nothing I could have done to stop myself developing type one. Basically, some people, some people carry uh, have more potential of developing type one. I'm the only one in my family. Um, I'm 31 as well, which is considered later. Um, to develop type one um, and yeah all they know about it is that there are some people that carry uh, a gene that will uh, but the second thing is it's something in, in the environment that will trigger it a virus or something but they don't really know and I think there's something so humbling and we think we 
know so much about science, but this illness that, you know, is a, a huge amount of people. Well, in the UK, there are 3,500,000 diabetics, and out of that, 10% are type 1. So still... What? Three and a half million diabetics in the UK, and 10% of that are type 1. So one in 10 that people with diabetes is type 1. That's a huge number. Like yeah. In terms of uh, diabetes, that's that's a huge number. Yeah, and it's growing. And Jesus. but yeah, I suppose I mean it's kind of it's kind of crazy because we we know so um, little about it. The only weird fact that they know about it is the farther away you are from the equator, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to develop it, which is quite random. Well, that's a mind fuck. But yeah, I bet it would be scientists right now trying to figure out why and what is can can it help this disease. Well, actually, no, because it's, we're only one in ten have type one, so there's much more money and funding to find cures for type two, because type two is big business. Like it's growing, and lots of us have it, and that's it's just it's, it's so fascinating. Like there's so many layers. Like when I well, when I was on that flight, I. Uh, I was with one of my teammates who knew quite a bit about uh, whose uh, sister has sister's boyfriend has type one. So she had a kind of a, a few things to tell me. But then I was still, you know, still in denial. I was like, this is they've misdiagnosed this. Um, so it was it was only once I was at the at the hospital in New York. We randomly our Airbnb was next to one of New York's best um uh, endocrinology hospitals, um, which we had no idea. But that was a nice fluke. So yes. we kind of so you go, you went straight away then. Well, no, we arrived at one, so we had a I had a pizza, <laughs> just like, clearly, like my last pizza. Clearly on the dial. <laughs> it was like one in the morning. You arrive in Times Square. I was like, I am not going to ER. It's like Friday night in New York. Like at this hour, no thanks. Um, so we went. You back. must have been a bit freaked out, though. I was, but besides I think, the denial, but I think it's a big chunk of denial. It's like, no, this isn't happening to me. What were the the rest of the team saying then? Um. Well. I, they were also kind of like, well, sure, we'll go to hospital tomorrow morning. And I would have dragged you to the thing. I would have been like, no, you're coming <laughs> with me. We're going to I need right now. <laughs> like my my fatherly side will kick down. You what? Be what? Put that pizza down. You've seen ER. You don't go to ER at like one in the morning on a Friday night. <laughs> no excuses. But yeah, so we uh, we then woke up because we were so jet lagged. We all woke up about six a.m. Well, and then are. we had a bit of a brunch, a bit of and brunch. then we walked leisurely to the hospital. And then, um, <laughs> what did you have for brunch? Um, I had bread with peanut butter and banana. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Um, and then, oh dear. And then this woman took me aside. Like we waited, she took me aside, and she pricked my finger, and she took the blood, and then she went, oh. And then so she pricked another finger and then she was like, what the fuck did you have for breakfast? <laughs> <It's> like, <"Whoa." laughs> and but I mean, at the time, those numbers meant nothing to me. I was like, oh, OK. okay. And then she, she told me that I could take two of the four people of my team with me. So I took uh, Teo and uh, Ellie. Well, they, well, they actually self-selected. They self-selected. <laughs> the other two were like, ah, oh, fuck this. Yeah, I'm going to the this. park. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then you go through two swinging doors of quietness and population into ER. And it was so great and so American. And there was like the FBI in one corner. There was a guy chained to a bed in another. Um, and it was like, <laughs> there was so much to watch. Cat from the room, <laughs> swiveling doors, madness. Boom. Yeah, like an Welcome episode of ER. to New York. It was great. Um, so yeah, then they, they put me down and then they, <laughs> they, put, you down. they put, put me on a bed. 
and and two guys kind of swarmed me and they um they flushed my system with this kind of um uh water um and it was really weird because they had to bring my blood sugar down really really low um i was basically I was walking around with a blood sugar of 600 which i think is about 34 millimole um those numbers probably mean nothing mm-hmm. to you but basically i was um over six times the norm and okay. now so your blood was was basically almost made of sugar at that time i mean that was why so the whole reason the gp called me on the plane was because that morning i'd went for a blood test because i thought i had like low iron deficiency because the other the main thing that made me go and check myself mm-hmm. was i was so tired like a tiredness where I, I couldn't concentrate on what people were saying to me, like, or if I forgot something up the stairs, like I'd have to take a break halfway up my own stairs, like just where things, a tiredness wasn't, wasn't normal. So, and, but the weird, I mean, I mean, this is also what's quite worrying um, and it's probably not her fault or whatever, but the whole thing around body image. So I was losing all this weight um, and I told the nurse and the nurse just kind of said, what's your secret? And I, th- I think that's kind of dangerous. And like, I was just reading a post the other day about when you're, if you're complimenting someone on their rapid weight loss, you might be complimenting a, a disease. You might, um, and I, I saw- it's, it's tough, right? I mean, like, <clears throat> I think complimenting straight on the weight is, I don't know, it's, it doesn't sound, it doesn't ring well to me. Like yeah. but somebody says, oh, you lost a lot of weight. What was your secret? That would always be to me is like, well, it's my. The know. thing is, like, then I rolled with it. I was like, well, oh, porridge, yeah, mate. Of course. <laughs> 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 Ignore um, anything you said about carbs and sugars. Just get porridge in the morning. Forever. It's great. Um, yeah, so. And now, now I've heard a lot because there's this thing that happens when you uh, are diagnosed, when you become diagnosed with type one, is you kind of get the second birthday. Like, is every meet another type one? It's like, when? When were you diagnosed and what happened? What was your story? And Imagine, we always yeah. start with that. So you have two birthdays. Um, but yeah, so, sorry, where was I? I'm totally going off in different. You were in ER, swiveling doors, FBI and people chained to their bed. They flushed your blood, yeah. right? To get your sugar down. And what happened after? And then they didn't feed me for seven hours. They did not feed you yeah, for seven they hours. Yeah, were, because they were trying to see what, because they're trying to figure out what your um, fasting blood mm-hmm. is at, because that's basically where they can tell whether you have diabetes or not. So um, so you were just hanging out in ER, seeing all that stuff happening yeah. for seven hours. Yeah, Jesus. no, it was quite fascinating. Ellie and Teo stayed with me for a while and then then I, I sent them off. It was going, I was going, it was really weird. I saw so many doctors as well mm-hmm. and uh, it was just such a surreal experience. I can't imagine, yeah. Um, and I, I was split in between feeling sorry for myself from being like, it's okay, like it's no big deal. But then a doctor would come up and say like, like it would flip from different doctors. I think I saw about 30, like like almost 30 doctors for my three days in the hospital. And some would come to me and be like, this is life-changing. Like you're gonna have to change so much around how you're living. And then another doctor would come and be like, what's the matter, why are you crying? Like, you're fine, what? And so it was really- it was, What an emotional roller coaster here. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty heavy in that way. But yeah, but I had Wi-Fi, and so I was finally able to like, Google everything, which also comes uh, with its yeah. good and bad. Um, and yeah, call my, call my parents. 
call my sister. So do your parents didn't know up, up until then? No, but I have this thing. I don't know if people have Find My Friends on their phone, but like my dad has my Find My Friends because he likes to know where we are because we're kind of spread all over okay. Europe. Um, and I knew it was only going to be a matter of time until he saw that I was in hospital. And so I, I called them and he was like, oh, I was just trying to figure out a way to tell your mum that you were in hospital. I thought it was maybe a creative morning thing. God. <laughs> And what about your husband? Did you phone him? Yeah, I called <laughs> he, him. After that sneaky oh my God. text. Oh my, like he that point, freaking he out. was freaking out. He did not sleep that night. Of course not. <laughs> so I called him when I was in New York. And um, and yeah, and he was just, um, yeah, we were just waiting to hear. Because for a while, you know, they're trying to figure out whether you have type 2 or type 1. Um, but because I was so so skinny, um, and there was a good chance, and because I was uh, the age I was, they were. They already thought it was probably type one, but they. Had so what to, happened after seven hours? Then your sugar level were like all over the shop. Or? Well, then, then the first night's the worst because they are trying to figure out what your insulin sensitivity is. Um, mm-hmm. So they're giving you insulin, and that's the first night is where you'll have your first hypo. And so a hypo is when um, you have so much. They give you so much insulin that your blood sugar drops so low that mm-hmm. you start to shake and sweat and. Basically, the game in in diabetes is to try and mimic what your healthy pancreas is doing. And it's a numbers game where we need to stay between four and eight is the ideal range. Um, and so if you have too much insulin or exercise too much or whatever, um, you drop below the four, you drop into hypo. And so you start to feel weak. Um, night sweats, it's not a pretty thing. Um, and so my first night, they didn't know, so they're just playing around, right? They're coming yeah. to wake you every three hours to take your blood and to give you insulin or to mess with it. So the first night, I was just, oh, it's, it was awful. It's, you're just, you're just drenched, drenched. Um, and um, I'm feeling really gross, basically. And I bet. like, how was because that was the first time in a while that your blood sugar were were back to like a sort of a normal level. How did yeah, you feel? no, because I was flying. I was at six hundred. Well, six hundred is the American system. Um, yeah. In, uh, my well, you were like a what, 40, 50 in our system? So I think it's like a 33. So I was 33, sitting at 33 okay. and quite happy. I was functioning at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like extremely dangerous. Um, so because what happens when you're that high and so you're much above eight, um, you're, you've got too much sugar in your blood and so much sugar that it's, um, it's not reaching your organs anymore. It's just going through you. And that's why first you lose fat because basically your brain needs to feed itself. So first it, 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 fat, it yeah. uses the fat, but then, uh, cause the fat's gone, it starts breaking down your muscle. And when it does, it does that, it starts to develop something called ketones, which are mm-hmm. this kind of, it basically it's it, your blood becomes acidic and that's Damn. what can then you can then go into a coma and, um, a, diabetic a ketosis um diabetic ketosis coma and that's that's not fun and that's so i mean i feel extremely lucky that i would that they caught it because it was now that i've I've heard so many other diagnosis stories it was i was flying far too high on this Mm. sugar rush um god and yeah so so no i mean i feel i feel really lucky and so since you started with a new system so insulin and watching what you're eating and everything basically being you, you like the thing you say in your podcast, which I thought, I thought it was the it really like struck a chord with me. It was so like you are your pancreas. If you think for a second about your pancreas, you don't even know what your pancreas do. You know what I mean? Like, and here you have to learn what it does, how it does it, 
and keep on top of it for the rest of your life. How do you feel now? How has your life changed? Like from just a day-to-day life perspective, given that your sugar levels are so low, did you see a difference in the way you behave and the way you are or is everything is normal as it was before? Uh, no, definitely. It's a whole, it's a new life, but I'm so much better. Like I'm at five months now and now it's part of my life. Like I needles, I shoot, I, I, I give myself insulin between three and four times a day. I'm on two types of insulin. Um, I'm a cyborg now. Uh, a cyborg, what do you mean? Uh, oh, because you have your implant. <laughs> <laughs> I have an implant, which is kind of the size of a two pound coin on my arm that I can just use my phone and swipe it to tell me where my blood sugar is at. And I mean, I've got this whole new respect for my body now, like figuring out, like I understand what I put into it when I exercise, when I'm stressed, like I, there were so many learning points where I realized that some ways of living were just really unhealthy, stuff that was happening under the surface, like putting myself through a lot of stress when I didn't need to or putting mm-hmm. myself in, you know, just doing too much, um, like being an event producer, that's quite a stressful job. Yeah, well, we'll, or, we probably need to get to the, to the stuff you do <laughs> now. <laughs> um, but what I was getting at is also the way you feel. Does that change? Well, I feel like there's something kind of crazy that happens when your blood sugar is very, very high. It can actually change um, the chemistry of your brain. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about how um, if you're, for me, when I'm very high, I get anxious and irritable. And over the five months when I was undiagnosed, I kept having recurring dreams about tiny things that had happened in the day that really weren't important and working myself up into a frenzy. And... Now, when I kind of backtrack that, that start, some, some things start to make sense. They were just so out of character for what I was usually like. And equally, when you're very low, um, I mean, there's like, there's a saying like, sorry for what I said when I was low for like people yeah. who have to hang out with diabetics. <laughs> um, like I get really floppy when I'm low. Like basically <laughs> I could almost just feel all the energy draining. <laughs> and basically you don't want to get between me and my chocolate drawer. Um, but I don't become aggressive. Right. Too much. Um, but Too much. like some people I've met have to, it's actually, sometimes they're scared to socialize. It's that got to that point where if they go low, suddenly it will change their personality. Um, and I know now sometimes if I'm at a 14 or, you know, like I miscalculated or sometimes, sometimes diabetes just messes with you. Sometimes you've done all the numbers and it's, and it's so frustrating, especially like I'm a type A personality, give me numbers, I'm fucking gonna nail those numbers. <laughs> and so when it's not playing ball, um, and, but I, and I'm sitting at a 14 when I should be between a four and an eight, I, I, f- I start to feel fuzzy and, but I know not to push it anymore. I know to get up and go for a quick walk to try and bring my sugar down and try, I give myself to try and just give myself a break as well. So there's a lot of calculations that you have to do to, yeah, to have a normal life. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. One of the weird things that happens is because, so you have to avoid glucose, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. glucose comes in, I think, well, comes in sugar, like you know, you've seen sugar, but it also comes um, in carbs. So bread, pasta, all that lot, um, and fructose and fruit. So because you look at an apple and, a, and an apple is about 15 grams of carbs, that's mm-hmm. for me, a dose of insulin. You look at like a giant plate of cheese, that's zero or th- three carbs. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, 
like that looks like the healthy option because to have an apple you have to face needles and that becomes this really weird thing where suddenly you become scared of certain food that used to be your whole life told you you had to eat that food instead of the cheese and it's just, just kind of like these wow. little weird adjustments and then just to be in your mind it's okay to inject insulin it's just obviously we associate injecting yourself with something not natural but yeah because then it's the crazy thing that you're, you're you have to do something if you eat something else that is like being a lazy human you'll be just like ah i'll eat the cheese it's okay but that will mess with your health because then you start eating unhealthily well some diabetics go totally keto uh, the keto diet you know yeah. they just like have almost no carbs but carbs is your brain's favorite food and so don't tell that to the keto no, no. diet I mean, some people do it really, really well. Um, mm. I'm a massive foodie. And <laughs> do you know what I really believe is, is, is a matter of the way you, your body is built, the way your, your body functions. And for some people, really, like, you don't need to eat carbs. Like, it's, it's fine. They just get on with the yeah. keto diet. For me, I grew up in pasta, mate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I ate pasta since I remember. You can't eat take pasta from me. You know, I'm happy <laughs> to get down on carbs. But like, don't touch my pasta and my bread. It, it, it's down to your composition, I think. Yeah, like the way you, also, where you grew up and where you where you born, I think that affects you in a way, because your family traits, you know, and if you your 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 family traits come from, you know, people that have been eating carbs their whole life, probably you'll be you will have a different type of response from carbs. I don't know, maybe this is just me talking gibberish, probably most likely, but hey, it totally depends. But also, what's exciting is you can hack it. There's so many like I've discovered so many new ways like i now make a curry with cauliflower rice cauliflower rice which is actually nice it's really nice yeah yeah and then there's all these incredible there's like a naturally derived sugar called erythritol which uh is a sugar you can't process and i've been making like cakes out of it and all this kind of stuff so hack it it's great have fun excuse me what sugar-free cakes make i should have brought some what are you talking about Tell me more about this magic sugar. It's mag- magic sugar. So it's it's not like um, uh, aspartam, the, the sugar. Or stevia, that is a natural. Um, well, stevia is a natural one and erythritol is as well, but it's a sugar alcohol. It finishes with OL derived from corn. And because mm-hmm. of the corn, if you think of corn, they have a sort of fiber over it. It's kind of the same thing with sugar. You don't, di- you taste it, but you don't digest it. So it goes right for you. Not in a bad way, but it goes right for you. <laughs> Boy, I need to write this down. <laughs> this is this is magic, guys. My life is about is to magic. be overturned. What's the name of this thing? Erythritol. Okay, I'll write this later. <laughs> <laughs> links in bio. Yeah, links in the bio. <laughs> um, no, so <clears throat> so back to ER, and and you're out. You're out of the room, right? You finished. They checked you, and they they, they they done the insulin test on you overnight. You drenched. Wake up. What's next? Then they're like, oh, too much insulin. Let's try something else. And so basically they keep you for a number of days. Well, nowadays, if the, if you catch it and you're not too high, you can be in and out in an evening. I heard that's happened. Oh, wow. But because I was so high and also um, obviously I was a tourist um, and didn't really have anywhere kind of like, well, yeah, we had an Airbnb, but basically they kept me overnight or yeah. okay. two nights. Um, and they're just doing tests, and then you see a dietitian, uh, you see um, an endocrinologist who's a doctor who specializes in blood, and they basically teach you everything. But there was this kind of crazy moment where they kept me all the way till Monday because I was supposed to meet this person that was going to teach me everything about how to administer insulin. But Monday morning, they opened my, you know, kind of um, curtains, and they write, right, you're good to go. 
And I was like, sorry? Excuse me? Um, how do I how do I do the whole needle thing? I'm like, oh, yeah, we really think you should go because we don't know if your insurance will pay. So I was like, I had to... Did you have insurance then? I did, and thank you. Special shout-out to Ellie, who uh, just um, hours before we took the flight, she was like, everyone got travel insurance? And I got travel insurance. Best 12 quid I have ever spent. Wow. America. Jesus. (laughs) The health dream. <laughs> so the insurance, <laughs> the insurance base straight away then? You have to, uh, you didn't no, have to I, that was another nightmare. I had to prove that I wasn't tourist travel, well, health traveling, and that I didn't know that I had diabetes before getting on that flight. That's a whole other story. But basically, when they said they were going to kick me out, I said, no, you can't kick me out. I don't know how to give myself insulin. Yeah. I'm now insulin dependent. I can't live without it. You guys need to show me. And so uh, I, put, I kicked up a fuss. And um, so then I got like the big cheese of the hospital come with a flank of people and they sat me down and they explained that they gave me a whole bunch of needles and a couple vials and insulin. And these were kind of the scary needles or like kind of like yeah. four centimeter needles. And they were giving me the cheapest stuff basically to just get just me. Just to get you out of that. Yeah. And because I was there in New York to go to this uh, Creative Morning Summit, well, they gave me the option. They're like, you can go home or you can go to the summit, but you know you have this thing for life now, so it's not like going home is going to change that. And I was like, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> Damn it's, right. like, it's not like going, you go home. Not only you feel sorry for yourself, plus you missed out this awesome thing you're about to do. Yeah, and yeah, so I went, I went, and I my sugars was all over the place, but they were, you know, I didn't hypo um, too much, and and I went to the conference. And I was just, it was great. I was just in denial. Like it was such a, there was so much going on that I was never alone. There was one session that was like a meditation session. Um, and suddenly I was alone with my thoughts. And I was like, I can't do this. I just got up and just left and out. found some other people to talk to. <laughs> just like, and, it, sorry guys. Uh, nope. <clears throat> See you later. Bye. Done. Yeah. And I think we're well, just to bring it full circle. Then my flight home was probably the worst flight of my life. Oh. I just realized that. Is that when it sunk in? Well, I realized that from hearing about my diagnosis on the plane, I hadn't been really alone or hadn't had the space to properly, properly just fucking break down. And and I just suddenly felt so claustrophobic in that flight. And and when I got and when I got home, I was like, this wasn't a weird thing I did on holiday. This is I'm t- bringing this home with me too. And and I had to go. I mean, the NHS was amazing once I got to see them. Um, but I had to go. F- f- they don't recognize the, the American stuff, so you have to go through all the tests again, and explain the stories and and sit through all the the the, the conversations basically. So it's just I was just kind of reliving it. Again. Makes sense though. You want to make sure that they've done the job of course, correctly, yeah. and it's their responsibility that they. Well, it's true though. It's their responsibility that you. You're healthy, right? And the best thing that happened was when I pulled out, you know, my stash that were these giant needles they and vials. Like, they were like, <gasps> hold on, we're just going to get you some proper pens. And now I have these tiny needles that, yeah, you you know, there's so much more. So you'd be pretty, you'd be practically, you'd be shooting yourself with these big yeah, syringes. Yeah, you had to put them all the way into your stomach. And remember, I was like, now I've kind of bulked up again, but I didn't have a lot of, you That know. was a crazy way to start. But like, I guess... If you believe that that was the way to go and you were just like, that's your survival, I guess you just go like, right, so that's four centimeters oh, yeah. syringe right into my stomach. There you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, you get over it really quick because the, the other solution isn't a long-term solution. So no. <laughs> you might as well get into it. Yeah, it's a very short-term <laughs> solution. So you're a freelancer and you also run Creative Mornings in Edinburgh. 
for people that don't know, Creative Mornings is a monthly event which happens the last Friday of the month. There will be somebody getting on stage talking and there will be the lovely community around them having a chat, having a coffee, having a bagel as a freelancer, being a freelancer myself. I know of the ins and outs of being in this business and how taxing it is normally. How are you getting on with being a professional, successful at what you do, run an event and survive with this illness? Well, I think my biggest learning thing was, I mean, when you're a freelancer, no one, no one ever sits you aside and tells you, you know, you should take maybe take a little break. Like, I tried to go straight back to work when I came back, um, and I just I could I was um, you hit you hit a wall. I was I was depressed. I, I yeah, it was it it wasn't me. It was very very strange. But I was still trying to work, and it was only at my second meeting at the diabetes clinic that they said, yeah, so you're come you're going to slowly get back to work. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah yeah yeah, because you've taken your two weeks off work. Excuse me? Oh. <laughs> what? Someone does that? So if you're in a normal job, someone will Would tell you, you yeah. step away and take care of yourself for a bit. So I actually, I then I did take that time. I, I took. Did, did you take some time? I then took that? some time because I, I just, I just needed, I just needed to, to lie in it for, to, to wallow a bit. Yeah. Um, there's something, the best bit of information I got from a nurse was she likened discovering, um, a chronic illness to experiencing loss and before you can live with it and accept it you're gonna you're gonna go through denial you're gonna go through anger you're gonna go through depression and you're gonna flip between these stages and that you know I don't know sometimes I need someone to tell me it's okay and often because when you're a freelancer when you're running your own show you don't really have someone to compare to and oh you do you have the internet to compare to oh yeah you're welcome yeah <laughs> and your your inner self also telling you yes. how shit you are yeah constantly yeah. Yeah. reminding yeah. you so that you're useless <laughs> exactly That's shit. why did you do that how how dare you doing that thing really yeah. show that yeah so yeah. that <laughs> was a big learning piece and also but then also to try and see the opportunity you know we're designing our lives and therefore like I was telling you there the fact that if my blood sugar is kicking around 14 percent it's actually not worth me trying to to power on through doesn't work so to get up and go and then do a couple hours later or things like that and lucky work that I work with teams that totally understand that and mm -hmm. I can move in that way but it does also give you it gives you a drive you know when you when you are also maybe a bit cheesy but when you are conscious of your mortality and your limits and your time it also helps you focus where you want to spend that time mm -hmm. and what projects you want to work on and yeah so it's just another lens um, give you purpose then because saying okay so I've got this thing this thing sucks but fuck it, I'm going to keep going. But this time I'm going to do it right. Totally. And, you know, um, this is the whole thing. You can let this thing beat you up or you can totally own it. And, you know, I'm going to be the best type one there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can go either way. Um, Just make a thing of it. I'm going to be the best diabetic in the world. Watch yourself, all the diabetic people. So I'm a designer. I like I'm all about problem solving, creative problem solving. And for me type one, one of the biggest issues is awareness because people don't know about it. There's just misinformation, but then there's misdiagnosis and there's a lot of people who just don't, you know, mm. don't find out they have it. So mm. there's, 
there's that whole side. There's a section all about how whatever life stage you're at, when you discover you have a disease, it's a completely different journey. And mm. whether it's you, whether it's your child, whether, you know, um, being in your 30s discovering it or trying to get pregnant and discovering your type one. Yeah, um, yeah it's just, but then there's everyone around you, your friends. Uh, what is their journey like? Your employers, what am I doing? Am I creating an environment that's right for them? Um, and then the third piece, which is probably the one where there's also loads of potential and, and ideas to work in is, is the whole health piece, how to how to hack eating. Um, there's this, this whole way of seeing like suddenly exercise becomes scary because I can't just go for a run. I need to check my blood sugar. I need to estimate I'm going to go for a 5K. That's going to take me about, it's going to drop me by 50%. I'll make sure to, so I need to eat half an apple now because otherwise if I hit a low, I'll come back and I have to eat double what I've just run off you know so suddenly exercise is scary and then some people are just too scared to exercise and therefore it's, they can't get healthy and and sleeping for instance even like I'm lucky that um I'm not single and because going hypo during the night it happens quite a lot and you don't feel it but you um you you gesticulate quite a bit so mm -hmm. you'll wake the person next to them and they'll know to wake you up but suddenly oh, there's just all these things basically there's so many areas but at the moment, the area I'm most excited about and the one that's giving me most focus is is the awareness piece and, and writing that blog post a month ago, that coming out piece took me almost two months to write because I wanted to get the tone just right. I didn't want it to be, oh, whoa, me, I have type one. It was like, I have this thing, guys, help me figure it out. It's wild. It's also a really fascinating disease. Um, and also I need you guys. And um so many people have come, have like contacted me as a result of that article and told me about things that happened to them or, you know, just said thanks. I never dared to ask. And, you know, I think we're all, you know, because it's not that anyone says anything to be mean. Often if someone, we all want to help. When someone tells you a bad story, you just want to say, it's okay, it'll be better, you'll get over it. But in some of these cases, you're not, I'm not going to get over it. And actually, I just want to I just want to talk and I just want to, I just want to share. And um, yeah, so it's humbled me to, to kind of create that space for those conversations. It, it comes through in, in your, in your blog post, you know, I'll, I'll link it into the, in, in the description of this, but um, it's just having all of that happening, especially when you, you're gone there, which is, it was probably, basically it's like a sort of a reward for like all the work you've done on creative mornings and you know you go to the US to celebrate and nothing happens and I, I think your your outlook on it and, and your take on it is amazing you just whatever man I've got this thing now do you know what I mean like you just embraced it and and that's that's what I really that's what really hit me even last time when we talked and it was quite fresh because we were it was October when, when we mm. didn't record this so it was like two months in and you were still figuring it out because I remember you were saying I'm trying to write something put it there I don't know what to do maybe maybe I'll talk about it in the podcast maybe not and I was I remember you were you were hurt at the time and you were you were like desperate is not the right word but you were definitely saddened by it and I can see now you're completely different now you just embraced it and you're like fuck it this is it and like this is what i got and i'll keep moving mm -hmm. but like how is it affecting your energy levels when you work then oh my god the best thing about diagnosis was because for those those three months where i was undiagnosed like 
past 2 p.m., I was just a slug. Like I was trying to like keep conversations going, you know, chatting to developers and being like, oh my God, I can't follow. Am I, I'm getting thicker and thicker. And actually suddenly to bring my sugars down, it was like a fog clearing. And suddenly I had all this energy and like, and it was almost like spurred me on. Like I, I run just to clear my head really. Um, but now I'm running the fastest 5Ks I have ever run. And I'm yes. like, fuck you. Fuck that I'm going to, and it's my way of dealing with it. And um, So you found new energy. So you, you turn basically turn a negative into a positive. Yeah. And I don't know. And yeah, it's my orange origin story. I have it now. You have okay. a new, that's it. It's like, <laughs> now you have two origins. You actually have your superhero origin story, which is like, it happened in August, 2018. Let me tell you a I'm story. I'm cyborg now. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's like, I'm a massive geek. Like, um, there's such, so many interesting things happening um, in the world of diabetes. Like, basically, there's... You're talking about tech and... Tech, yeah. Like, just even the stuff I'm wearing uh, on my yeah. arms really fast. Basically, every five minutes, um, it's it's taking a reading of my blood glucose. But um, there's this thing called the artificial pancreas, uh, which is you have a pump, which is attached to your body. Like, insulin pumps aren't new. But this pump has both um, insulin and uh, glucagon. Uh, glucose in it mm -hmm. and basically it's communicating with my little sensor and oh, it is so you don't need to needle yourself it just goes automatic the needle's already in you yeah and so instead of giving yourself so i give myself one big shot of insulin every night and then mm -hmm. every time i eat and <clears throat> um, in this one it's always giving you tiny bits of insulin just one type of insulin but you know maybe maybe five six times a minute because it's always reading uh, your blood so basically it's trying to mimic your your real pancreas and and it, yeah, I don't, it's just, it's really fascinating. That's mad. Yeah. And so th that means that basically it's just regulating your blood sugar constantly on microdoses. Yeah, So exactly. as soon as, as your sugar kind of bulge a little bit, boom, yeah. here it comes. But I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's fascinating to see because like, it's also like, how does it work as well? And how well will it work? Because it's still not perfect. Because basically if I eat, if I eat um, what's something that's fast, like orange juice spikes blood super fast. But if you have like pasta is a really slow, is, mm. is, is much slower. And like, so there's different kind of ways to play with it, but it's quite You must know your food yeah. very well right now. Yeah, so like, no, and it's fascinating, actually. Like, yeah. I mean, you have to get a bit geeky about it, you know. Well, it's oh. keeping you alive even more so than when it was before. You're like, oh, that's you interesting. Know, I, I'm going to say this. I never told anybody. But, like, about a few years ago, my wife thinks I'm crazy. But, like, a few years ago, what I did, I bought the device to to keep your blood sugar in check. Mm -hmm. So I have still have just The know, sensor the, or the prick? No, the, the sensor is too expensive. It's uh, the prick device. Yeah. I, I bought the best prick device I could buy at the time, which was, like... It's probably better than mine. Cool black <laughs> thing. You know, you just had uh, this thing to prickle you. And, and like, I was <laughs> obsessed by it because I realized... I was a lot healthier at the time, don't get me wrong. But, like, I realized that certain food would agree with me less than others and I just wouldn't realize what it was. So I had to, I had I wanted to to keep my sugar levels under control. And I learned so much about my body and how long it takes for my sugar to, to spike and what type of food is a definite no no. Um it, it didn't really affect the way I eat or the way the way I am, but I am absolutely obsessed with data so mm -hmm. when i when i start getting all that data and i start understand more i was like yeah cool yeah. i understand it now i can go back eat my pasta no bother yeah no i think it's good and there is there's actually a few startups that are looking about actually 
for healthy people to use sensors like these. And I think it's good because people learn about their bodies. But this comes back to the whole diabetes being big business. I'm so glad I live in Scotland where their um, kind of thinking is to give as many type ones these sensors as possible because that will reduce complications down the line. It's cheaper to give us this now than to amputate us, basically, as they're thinking. In England... I love um, Scotland when they, when they see stuff like that. It's just, they're it's, on it. It's smart. And in England, uh, one of my friends, it might be changing now, so apologies if, if it has changed, but one of my friends proved that he was taking such good care of his diabetes because here I had to prove that I cared, that I was taking good mm -hmm. care and show them that I was pricking my fingers and I was taking all these numbers. He did the same thing down south, but down south they said, oh, you've got it under control. You don't get a sensor. So it's people who aren't controlling that are getting the sensors. And it's only recently in, in, in England that all pregnant women get the sensors. Here, it's more the case that everyone has sensors and if you're pregnant, they'll uh, do their best to get fit you with a pump as soon as possible because... When no you're pregnant, it's that. no longer just yourself that you have to protect. Well, it's, it's what you're growing, yeah. and it's super dangerous. So it's yeah, because yeah, if you're pregnant, you have to have like razor sharp attention to your sh blood sugar, and there's no missing. It's even it. tighter. Yeah, yeah, it's, you need to be. It's totally doable. So I have a friend did it, and no, it's insane. I mean, but what's amazing? I mean, here they've explained to me about if we want to go down that route, you mm -hmm. you're in the clinic once a week, so you're super well followed. But it's it's a marathon. It's yeah, it's, there's no it's sprinting not, it's here. It's not yeah. going to be. <laughs> but, like, you know, the fact that tech can help you to such, an, to such an extent, to such a degree, as much as almost replacing your pancreas, that's pretty good. Do you know what I mean? Like, that is massive tough, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Like, it gives you so many opportunities. Imagine, like, 50 years ago. You figured out that you had type 1 diabetes. Yeah, you had to piss uh, on these kind of vials and you had to it took 20 minutes to take a blood sugar test or your needles, you had to boil them. And then, uh, like, it's I'm so lucky. That Imagine that, like, technology made it a lot easier. And I'm pretty sure in 30 years' time, they'll look back and I was like, <laughs> I have a 3D printed pancreas now. <laughs> yeah, check. Check this. <laughs> I can control it on my phone. Look at that. That's my pancreas. Yeah. That's amazing. Bluetooth. Um, a pretty Bluetooth 10.1. You, you it it's just linked to Deliveroo. And just like, oh, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's like your, your, your body will know that you, have, you can eat a pizza tonight and that will be delivered home. Do you want, this is a useless but kind of cool piece of tech. I was testing a sensor, uh, the Meow Meow um, sensor that you link with uh, the Freestyle Libre sensor, if there's anyone who's interested in the names. Um, and you can link it to your hue lights, you know, the lights that dim. Yes. So when your blood sugar is going low, your actual lights in your house start like flickering. <laughs> You're like, get that woman a donut. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, to be honest, it makes perfect sense. All it has to do is register some data, see, yeah. <laughs> see uh, where your blood sugars are, and then that's it. Yeah. It's party time. <laughs> but be, beyond tech, um, there's a, there's this charity down south called Hypo Hounds, and mm -hmm. they um, they train your dog to recognize uh, low blood blood sugar. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, and I've seen some videos. It's just so dogs are the best. Oh, there's a documentary on Netflix called Dogs. Don't know if you've seen it. I was. I think it was too raw when I watched <laughs> the first one. I was, oh my I was god! Bawling. Oh yeah, we, we, my wife and I were just about the epileptic child. Yes, the oh epileptic child. But even even the dog in Italy, the one that ice that goes I, around. I couldn't it. watch the others. I was. You haven't watched? Oh, you got what? The, the first one is the sad one. Okay. The other ones are more like engrossing. The last three you can 
skip them. It's not they're okay, not that the good. Italian one. Okay, the, 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 the one, two, and three are the best ones. <laughs> but yeah, the first one. Oh, well, for people that don't know, <laughs> just there's this documentary on Netflix called Dogs. There are six episodes, if I remember correctly. Every episode talks about different dogs, why dogs are important in many different ways. I recommend it. At least the first three episodes is amazing. But the first episode was all about this epileptic child, and there is this. A company in the US, a company, yes, a business in the US that they train your dog to help you when you do get an epileptic seizure. And this dog was, um, I think it was a golden doodle. So it was this massive dog, looked like a doodle, and it was like the size of a horse. And <laughs> <laughs> basically, if you had a seizure, you would uh, bark and go get people to help yeah. you. So you sleep insane. next to her. So she, because otherwise, she couldn't sleep alone or she couldn't be in any room without any other human in it. She always had There was a moment though in that, in that thing that really for me hit me where she had, to, they were training the dog and she had, the trainer said to the girl who was epileptic, uh, fake doing a seizure and that way he'll know. And she couldn't because she'd never seen she'd herself never seen have it. a seizure. Oh, oh, and it's just like, like, at that moment, it was, I was like, oh. Anyway, sorry, dogs. Dogs are amazing. Dogs are amazing. We, 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 we <laughs> well, now we have to talk about your furry baby that's coming on Saturday, tomorrow. <laughs> 23 hours that's one of the good things about um having type one so my husband was meh, a little bit keen to first to get a puppy but because <laughs> leverage <laughs> exactly because i have to go on so many like fast walks to lower my blood sugar he's like let's just get a dog let's just get a yeah, dog it's just a no-brainer so a uh, little puppy is arriving tomorrow what type Bacchus. of dog it is he's a finnish lap pound which, which are the most fluffy uh cute things you've ever seen they're so good. And they're, they're a good so size good. as well. They're like medium. Yeah. They're good for running. <laughs> they're like meaty dogs. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. If you heard any of my previous episodes, you know that the podcast here is all about your journey as a as a professional. I always ask about the origin story and everything. And you know because you've done it already. So you know pretty well. <laughs> but I feel like we should touch on that now. <laughs> like after we after we talked about the elephant in the room. Um how many people know that you're from Switzerland? Everyone thinks I'm Swedish or something. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought as well the first time I met you. So it's first two layers. People are just mind blown. Yep. No, so a So few tell me about that because like, you know, we were saying even before the podcast, we were talking about how um, Switzerland is an interesting place. It's a multicultural place because you have German, Italian and French population living in because they're bigger than communities because the areas of, areas of Switzerland, they're like actually French, German and Italian. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I love where I'm from, of course. There are so many interesting things about a landlocked country that's yes. not in Europe, but yet so part of it. Like when I lived, used to come from somewhere out of, outside of Lausanne, which is kind of a, an hour from Geneva, um, like in 40 minutes, you're in France. In two hours, you're in, uh, yeah, in Milan, yeah. you're in Germany in three, and it's just like, because your neighbors are so close, you feel so much more engaged politically, and there's a bit more awareness around around that. It's, it's also a direct democracy, which is... A what, what is a direct democracy? So a direct democracy means that we vote at least four times a year on policies, um, and yourself, if you have a policy that you would like to take forward and get, I think, 100,000 signatures, it, the parliament then have to take notice and then we'll put it to the population. It's amazing how that in the UK is counted as undemocratic to have a vote on a vote that's happened that just leave it out there. Okay, I know. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to the politics. <laughs> like straight in it. 
boom. Boom. So I'm wondering what the Swiss thinks about Brexit. Uh, well, they're just, you know, they're quite detached from it. They're kind of bemused by it all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is... They're just there eating popcorn. Mm, you know, we're saying, oh, well, we'll do Brexit because we'll be just like Switzerland. And it's like, yeah, but Switzerland became its kind of own thing in like 1,291, you know, like a long, like a couple of good centuries ago, you know, they yeah. practiced at this shit. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're a bit worried. I hope I can keep my Swiss husband um, when it all goes through. Oh, yeah. Um, no, nah, he's going home, I'm afraid. Has he done his settles? <laughs> oh, well, how long has he been here? Uh, we'll have been here in 10 years now. Well, that's okay, So man. we're fine. You'll get his status. But yeah, on the Brexit thing, um, not that we're going to go into this, but on no. the whole stockpiling of medication and insulin is yes. an interesting point well, yeah, as well. Fuck. I mean, think um, about it. It must be a big issue for you guys. Uh, I mean, it's a big issue. Yeah, it's, we're still figuring it out. I'm sure it'll be fine. And luckily I have the opportunity, worst case, to go back to Switzerland if, if I can't get my insulin here. But Imagine that. But Im I mean, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know. I think that's yeah. something to remember. Um, Jesus So Christ. yeah, building awareness around all this is still very key. But yeah, um, Switzerland, Swiss design. So you, That's how yes, so you grew I, up in Switzerland. <laughs> grew up in Switzerland because my parents wanted to design there. My mum's from Edinburgh. My dad um, is from Bristol and they met in Southampton Uni. And on, moved to Switzerland. Yes, because they wanted to be ski bums. And uh, it's been 45 years. My dad's retired since two years. He's probably on a ski lift right now. Is he yeah. Is he like big active guy that does loads of skiing? Oh, massively. Yeah, he's going to be 70 next year. But he taught me all the free ride skiing there was in Verbier, which is one of the best resorts in Europe because it's super high and has a huge domain. Hashtag posh kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's where made in Chelsea go. But my parents <laughs> went when before it was cool, like when it was a swamp, basically. And I have so many stories. Hashtag hipster posh kids. <laughs> oh my God. But there's so many stories there where kids now, their grandmother owned a farm. Mm-hmm on land that is now Verbier where the square meter was maybe two francs and now the square meter has gone up 600% the value of it so and these people have inherited their grandmother's farm and they're millionaires they are swimming in it millionaires did um, you sell them or hmm? the masters sold their farms for like good chunk well, of cash no, oh, it stays in the family now and people don't um, it's just an asset yeah, yeah. Okay. no it's kind of a crazy world but um, but yeah so they kind of designed their lives around that and um, and so I grew up in Switzerland. So what what was your life as a kid growing up in Switzerland? It was in a farm. Uh, it was in <laughs> a little like a village. Movie. Yes. Yeah, there were more cows than people. Um, we drove these mopeds that we kind of hacked a bit to go at seventy kilometers an hour. Um, that's 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 <laughs> crazy, you guys. That's all we do in Italy, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was very wholesome, I guess. Very wholesome. I don't so know. How what you used to do? Just hang out in the fields. And what age were you talking? Well, when you were wee, when you were small. Oh, when I was little. Uh, yeah, well I, well, I was actually born in Verbier, so I was on skis at the age of two. So that was wow. I can't remember. But that's crazy. Yeah. That's what you used to do. You had a you had a child just on a ski lift going Pre up and down. Pretty much. But yeah, we then moved down to the country to because. The mountains are a bit crazy if you want to put your kids in school and stuff. Is it? Yeah. It's not. It's well, just... now, now you can, but yeah. At the time, it was just. Yeah. So my parents. So does the countryside look like as bucolic as, as you see in the movies? Yeah, Switzerland is ridiculously cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you Would you ever move there? Like retire and go to Switzerland? Oh my god! So my Swiss friends are listening. <laughs> they'll be like, ah. Oh. Um, 
I every time I go back, I'm like, oh my God, this place is beautiful. But I don't know, Scotland is home. Like this summer will be 10 years that we moved here. Oh and, uh, man, same, 11 for me in June. Dude. That's a long time. Yeah, would you go back to Italy? Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, do you know what? Um, it's a tough one because there's certain things in Italy I really like. But the politics right now is if Brexit God. is bananas in Italy, it's just I don't know what the hell is going on. Seriously, it's crazy. It's, it looks like one of those dystopian, dystopian futures. You know, it's just like, fuck that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, Brexit, I mean, is competing for it, you know, politically. I remember I left my country when Berlusconi got re-elected again. And I was like, fuck this. I can't have him again. I'm out of here. And all the reasons, of course, not just for that. <laughs> but uh, right now, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was talking yesterday with a friend. And we were saying, like, we wish we had Berlusconi in here. It would have been like all this crazy, nice world built on lies. But at least we wouldn't be talking about the nonsense that we're talking about these days. Jesus Christ. Anyway, the short answer is no. But maybe when I'm older. <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, I, for now, it doesn't, I don't, I don't need, just, I suppose, work-wise, uh, as a freelance kind of UX product designer, there's so much more work here. Um, it's much more... I feel more opportunity. Also, love Switzerland to bits, but there are still some, I think, um, some areas which are still quite sexist, I suppose, um, which I come across less here. I mean, it's funny, Switzerland is like full of so many, so many good things as well. I was telling you earlier mm. about how we have 25% of the population is foreign, and like my parents are foreigners, they're still not Swiss. Yeah, and they're foreigners having you, a great time. You grew up there as a practically as a British child but. yeah and no and my friends like come with such like mixed backgrounds and stuff because of that like I think like Scotland is so white <laughs> when I moved here it's like what um, to be honest it is true Scotland is I mean at least Edinburgh where we live is quite white yeah it is never really thought about it but yeah now really? that you're making me think it's like oh yeah no it's so that's a bit problematic. So I do, I do like, and it's funny because a lot of people think that Switzerland is just the Made in Chelsea episode in Verbier, but it's <laughs> so much more than that. And like, there's so many interesting, we were talking about the interesting policies, like in Switzerland, your bodies, your property. So prostitution is legal and also protected and the right to assist suicide is there. Um, Big deal now, especially after the chat we've heard at the Creep Mornings, <laughs> yeah. um, fourth, birthday anniversary anniversary yeah that was all about the right to good death the right to good death yes which was quite a powerful message in an evening of celebration but also a message that's important to have and spread people need to know about it mm -hmm. and also like i liked how they were saying that we we all gonna die right so just why don't we not talk about the only sure thing we have in life which is death mm -hmm. <laughs> like, we should it's coming for you yeah it's coming by <laughs> yeah we should embrace and talk about it um but <clears throat> Also, you were telling me about the needle vans, which I thought was a crazy idea. Yeah, crazy in most cities, uh, we have um, these kind of vans where people who need to shoot up can do so cleanly with clean needles and can dispose of it properly. And it's the idea of allowing people to do something illegal in plain sight, but safely, at least you can, because they're going to do it anyway, at least you can control it and a child's not going to stumble over some used needles in the park. I found it like fascinating that that is not a thing everywhere it just makes sense why would you have somebody shooting up in the, in the street do you, don't you think they would do it anyway 
Yeah, no, so for some things, it sounds super progressive. Then I, I do miss my friends and I love the culture. Um, yeah, but. So, yeah, what's the worst thing about Switzerland? What's the worst thing about Switzerland? And the best thing about Switzerland? Price of coffee? I don't know. Price of coffee. <laughs> Very expensive. Back to hashtag hipster posh kids. Um, How much is a coffee in Switzerland? I don't know. It's about 10 quid. No, it's not. It's not. 10 it's quid. It's, I'm just messing with you. Like, Jesus. if you know where to go in Switzerland, you can have a normal life. A normal life? <laughs> Yeah, you just go to Zurich and try and <laughs> All right, right. Zurich. Zurich is like a normal city though, isn't it? Uh, well, Zurich <laughs> is expensive. Zurich is very, very no, expensive. No, but meaning like Zurich is the most European city is in Switzerland, isn't it? No, no, no I wouldn't no, say no, that. Just... So Lausanne is kind of more where I'm from and that's uh, that's a really nice place just mm-hmm. by the lake. I mean, the best thing about Switzerland is, is nature. Like yeah, the mountains right. are larger than life. Um, it's beautiful and there's a lot of respect for it. And um, people are very environmentally aware just because you see the mountains all the time and you see the snow recedings, you see the avalanches, you, yeah, so. That's mad, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so detached from where I grew up, you know, like I haven't seen, I haven't, re- I mean, I've seen the mountains <laughs> many times, my, my grand used to live, I still live in the mountains, but um, just the, the images you used to see as a kid growing up of uh, Switzerland were always like bucolic and like beautiful, uh, like, Insane. One of the best things if you go to Switzerland, Gruyere, or uh, it's an area where you've got these beautiful rolling green hills of cows. Like yeah. they, they look like a drawing. But Geiger, you know the the artist who did the uh-huh. alien, you know um, who designed all those crazy kind of erotic alien shapes and that kind of stuff. So you go to this beautiful uh, village in the, uh-huh. these hills and you can get your cheese, your cheese fondue, your cream, your chocolate. Yeah. And then there's a Geiger museum right in the middle of like this really fetish eroticism right in the middle of all that. I love that. It's hilarious. That is, I think that's Switzerland in a nutshell. Right? Pretty much. It's like conservative, incredibly conservative, but incredibly progressive in the same country and they're not killing each other. What's going on? That's mad. So growing up in Switzerland, growing up in and around the mountains, yeah, skiing mm-hmm. a lot. What what did you do? Like, how did you get from there to becoming Alex Dursel Baker, <laughs> Pro- product designer? And I said, you would you still call yourself a product designer? Yeah. So. UX design UX is design. often what people hear, but product design, I suppose, is in the field that I am. People understand. Okay, so product wide. designer and event organizer. Mm-hmm. So what happened then? From when did you go from the mountain to that? Uh, it, I kind of stumbled. It was or in one of these, um, you know, career fairs you go to. Yeah. I think I was about seventeen. So like one of those organized by schools and. Yeah, I was at the local uni. And I knew I wanted the like at the time. All I knew, I I, I like to work with my hands. So I'd come to the point that I'll be a you know like a chiropractor. That was a level of like I don't know. That was what I was thinking. <laughs> and and then I love that. What do you want to be growing up? Oh, a chiropractor. I don't know. I don't know. I want to crack people's backs. <laughs> I like, like hurt people. <laughs> um. <laughs> when they when they do crack your neck though, it's so satisfying. Oh. Have you ever tried it? Yeah. No. Oh, I've been man. in that headlock, but oh. it makes me a little bit sick sometimes. Same. But like when they do it well, it's just like. Oh. There's a crack and you're like, <gasps> you don't want them to not do it well. It's quite a dangerous move. To be honest, <laughs> I'm surprised they're allowed to do that. Yeah, it feels totally. Because when you do it, first, especially when you do it the first, I remember doing the first time. Um, I haven't been to chiropractor in a while, but I remember doing the first time and she did it and she was like, crack. And I was like, ah, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> I <laughs> she <know>. just <laughs> started laughing. And you just get Tourette's. <laughs> yeah, I was not, because you just don't expect it to work like that. It's yeah. Just like, anyway, no. so. <laughs> 
so anyway, I'm on this path to being a chiropractor. And at this, um, at this kind of fair, I stumble into this room of this uh, industrial designer who's uh-huh. giving a talk. And he's giving a talk about how he was among all this new technology. And one of the new pieces of technologies that was in his lab was a 3D printer. No, a 3D scanner. And what does he do? He decides to sneeze in the 3D scanner. As you do. Yep. And from that, create these crazy vases. Um, and I'm a mind, my mind was blown. It's like, this guy is just sneezing into printers and, you know, making a life out of it. I want that job. <laughs> and, I want to sneeze on a printer, <laughs> in a printer, around the printer. Um, and then I kind of got obsessed. There's this really famous school in Switzerland, an industrial design school. I kind of got really obsessed. And for a year, uh, I was a ski instructor at the time. Um, but meanwhile, I was kind of creating my portfolio for this thing. And I was really, 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 really wanting to get into this school. So at what age did you start being a ski instructor? At 16. Because you must have been so good at skiing. Because when you were saying you started two years, when you were two years old. Yeah, and then I snowboarded for a while. And then I was, I was a ski instructor to pay for my snowboarding kit. But then I saw the light and skiing as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's working to ski ski to work ski to have fun but um have you ever had one of those freak accidents then skiing that some people have and it's really scary to see um i've in one i had a really bad weekend where i knocked myself out and broke a thumb and then the next day i broke the other thumb those are the worst I've had. Kind of got caught in a small, small, small avalanche, really nothing with a friend that we managed to <laughs> ski out of. Um, no biggie, just got caught in an avalanche <laughs> once. Um, but when I was a ski instructor, I had a scary, scary uh, moment with a child that was teaching um, ski jumping on the, sn- on the snow park. I and I had to do it. Why do people do that? Ski jumping. I didn't even Sounds like, like it. Sounds like crazy to me. But I, so I had it's to like teach this sentence. to these kids. And one of the kids like, hit the deck. But she hit the deck really, really hard. And I remember, I still can remember it so well. I skied up to her and her eyes were open. But, you know, when when you get caught, when someone's coming at you speed like I was, you you blink, you move. She wasn't, she was breathing, but she didn't blink. Well, you're like, yeah, that's it. Oh, it was terrifying. Um, So we had to call the the helicopter. I had to put her in the helicopter and and everything. And, um, and... she she was okay. She didn't break. She basically pretty much like knocked herself out to a point, and then they had she was taken away in in an ambulance and everything. And that was that was terrifying. That was oh awful. I also lost a child once. That's one of the top things to face <laughs> a parent a child. and be like, sorry, they're what not here. <laughs> it's like I left it with you. Did you? I saw you had him. Did you have no? Um, it was you have like eight kids, right? And we were at the baby ski slope or something and um, we all had to get in the bus to take the kids back and I couldn't find him anywhere. So I, was, I assumed like I went up and down and could not find him. So he yeah. must have gotten on a bus. And so um, t- went back to see if he'd w- arrived and the parents were already there and he wasn't there. But luckily there was so many of us. I was part of the Swiss ski school and there was like 200 of us. So this kind of word goes out that everyone has to look for this kid in a bib. <laughs> And um, and they found him, but well, that was an interesting fifteen but, minutes. Oh my god! Um, but I found kids on the bus. You know, sometimes you'd be oh shit, there's one. <laughs> you grab it and you're like, okay, I'll pay, I call in, call in. So I found the number thirty-seven. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, oh that was my. a fun time. But yeah, it was it was a great it was a job, right? It was oh job. just whatever. Like you know, people <laughs> works at Tesco. Some other skiing instructors. If you yeah. have to choose, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so what did you do afterwards then? Did you go to the product school, product design school? No, so I failed. So, oh. you know, my first, you know, that first big failure. So I, I, I'd heard that the, the kind of, the school was kind of interesting in terms of um, the guy who ran it. But um, I ran it, came in with this big portfolio, I put it on the table. They kind of flick through it, they shut it, and they looked at me and it was kind of like eight men standing and I was just like at the front. And they just said, what does your father do? And I was just like, he's a scientist. And <laughs> he's a scientist. He, and they just kind of sighed and just said, you're not a product designer, you're a graphic designer. You can go for graphics. And I was like, and I. I want to sneeze in a printer. <laughs> that, was, that was the level of it. Um, so, yeah. And because of that, I kind of diverted into fine art for a while. Again, back in the mountains. Did that for a year and realized that fine art is a lot about self, like introspection. And I just felt at the ripe age of 21 or whatever it was, I didn't have that big a story to tell. And um, so I've cemented the idea that I really wanted to do design. I still wanted to do design because design's a conversation. <laughs> I can't imagine you just like looking around and thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was really fun, but not for me. Um, and yeah, and then uh, it was actually an aunt who told me about uh, Glasgow School of Art and how oh, that was a good school. Of course, because your mom used to be from, from Edinburgh. used to be. Well, your mom was from Edinburgh. So. Yeah, but it was this, yeah, this aunt that was like, oh, you should check it out. So, and um, yeah, kind of, I visited the Edinburgh one and then Glasgow, and I really liked what Glasgow was doing. And yeah, Off ended up went. there. Did there four years, six months in Copenhagen. and As you do. Yeah, and then... Yeah. What was the six months in Copenhagen? Well, GSA was really good in the way it was linked with, again, Brexit. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to continue that program, but we were linked with seven schools. And there was, uh, I think there was even one in Israel. Mm -hmm. There was Copenhagen, Paris, uh, actually a few in America. Um, and basically they really encouraged um, us to go take six months and, uh, and learn. And I went to the Denmark um, School of Design um, and did a kind of line that was product design and game. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And this summer, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So this was about yeah seven years ago that I went. Um, I started going to these lectures that were in Copenhagen, that were run by CIID, the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. Mm -hmm. And I like vowed that I would do a master's there or something. I was just so in, impressed. But then you know how it is. You graduate. You need a job. Got to pay the bills. Everything else. Yeah. Um, but this summer, and this is why I was so pleased to finally be my own boss, I had the time and space to take a month and go back to Copenhagen. And that was July. Wasn't that it? was July. So before. Before it all happened. Before the origin story. I was eating so much ice cream. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to do the school. It, it was great. Blissful ignorance. It just say so much ice cream. It was great. I have seen quite a few pictures of you eating ice cream in Copenhagen. Yeah. I was obsessed. Yeah. I almost cried this one evening. I lived above an ice cream shop and I went down, it shut at 10 and I went down at 9.45 and they'd shut early and I almost cried. <laughs> like that was the level of it. <laughs> that should have been like a red flag right there. It's like, why am I crying? <laughs> I don't want ice cream. So then my usual thing was to go to 7-Eleven and buy a, like a two liter bottle of kind of like lemonade. Of course. And I would yeah. drink the whole two liters before bed. And I, th I remember thinking that wasn't normal. Holy shit. That is so much sugar before I, you go to bed. That was a lot. Water two liters, as well. yeah. Two liters is like thirty grams of sugar for five hundred It wasn't super mil. sugary. It was more of those kind of. It was middle like of the road sugary. Yeah, I don't know. It's ridiculous. 
Anyway, anyway, full circle. Full circle. Yes, full circle. So the the thing that sucks is like really, we all <laughs> run out of time. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we've been chatting for an hour and twenty minutes oh already. Yeah. So how was it to come to Glasgow to start a new life in Glasgow after like I mean Switzerland? It, it, I can see that it's quite different from Glasgow. <laughs> Since I don't think anything is like Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Privia should have done some Glasgow experience before setting in Edinburgh, but how was it? It was really hot. Everyone had told me the weather was going to be shite and I hadn't brought any like summer clothes with me. And I remember the first three weeks just sweating balls. Wow, <laughs> that's such a one-off. Well, actually with climate change now we get it's Scottish good. summer, which is insane. It's so good. I mean, yeah. last year it was mad, but at the time... So this was 2009, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just don't remember those three weeks of sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone like a flash. <laughs> it's gone like a flash. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, yeah. Glasgow was good. It was the Vic, you know, that whole, um, there, GSA was a good place to be, super creative, really good people. Is that like, because apparently whoever goes to Glasgow always falls in love with Glasgow. There's no way around it. Like, did you have that feeling as well of belonging straight away? You were like, yeah. I can uh, do this. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not instant belonging, but yeah, definitely. It's got its rough side, but it's like, if you know Glasgow, you know where to go. And it's got so many like great places to like hang out, eat and go out and stuff. It was good. Yeah. My husband learned English in Glasgow as so much. That was Did interesting. He? Yeah. Where's, where is his Ouija accent gone? Oh, he still has it. He has a weird mashup Does now because he? he spent time in Leeds. So he's got like a bit of a he's Scottish got a everything. twang and then a bit of Leeds in the cricket. What does your husband do? He's a sport data scientist and a painter. A fantastic painter. I remember being very impressed the first time you showed me one of his paintings. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You still have that one, the big one. The huge one, yeah. yeah. It's, it's never going to leave the kitchen and can't fit. It's still in the kitchen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we sell the house, we sell the painting. <laughs> That's the way this goes. <laughs> yes, so now Alex's kitchen is quite a remarkable kitchen in terms of size and one of the walls. You should see the dog crate. <laughs> oh, my, you said. <laughs> I'm actually going to be able to rent it out during the fringe. It's that big. Wow. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see all the pictures on Instagram. Because that's definitely going to happen, right? Boom. Well... The thing that sucks, as I was saying, is that we run out of time, which means that we have barely scratched the surface of your, good, your life as a professional. I have the same questions here I asked you last time, but I couldn't ask you. Um, well, actually, we did kind of cover CIDs, summer school, Switzerland, your chocolate drawer, ups and downs, <laughs> uni startup going so, oh, yes, the story with the hat company. Oh, God, oh that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's old. Well, right, before we call it a day, where can people find you? Where can they find me? Yeah. When will this podcast be ready? <laughs> I'm just finishing my website. <laughs> so I'm like, Duh. actually, the best thing is just to find me on Instagram or Twitter at HBAlex. HBAlex, yes. Because the original name was Alex. Oh, I haven't saved it. Is that Humphrey Ale- Baker. Humphrey Baker, uh-huh. yes. Alexandra Humphrey Baker. Yeah, only my mum called me Alexandra. And when I've right. done something bad, usually, so. <laughs> Alexandra? <laughs> oh my God, that was so close. <laughs> oh dear. HB Alex, Instagram and Twitter. They can find you there. You can find Alex every last Friday of the month at Creative Mornings, where you can find myself too. 
most of the times. And please come over for bagels and chats. Go go say hi to her. <laughs> she loves speaking to people. And come say hi to me as well if you know the way I look like. And uh, people. <laughs> I am the best looking one in the room. <laughs> I want to see people the who they're going to speak to. Um, yeah, that's it. That's uh, money to call it a day. Thank you very much nice for coming, one. Alex. And Thank you so much. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, speak to you soon. 